Welcome to Talkin' Tea with Auntie, where we discuss interesting topics with everyday people. And today's topic is being a man and deconstructing toxic masculinity with our guests, Andrew and Dr. James Stein. And now to your gay auntie, Shining Hello, Nathan. Lovers, this is your gay auntie, Shining Nathan, and welcome to another episode of Talkin' Tea with Auntie, where we talk about everyday topics with everyday people. And I'm so excited to have this topic here for us today. And it's one that is very impactful in the modern psycho space as we discuss how to become better people and in relations to this, is better man. So I have two fantastic guests here that are going to be discussing what it means to be a man and deconstructing what is toxic masculinity within ourselves. This is a fantastic topic that I think will allow us all to grow and learn and create a healthier space for all of us to just be healthier people and understand a little bit better. So I have two fantastic guests. I'll bring the first one out shortly, and then we will get the ball rolling. And remember, if you enjoy my content, please remember to hit that notification bell and subscribe to this channel and give me a like and comment in the comment section what you would like for us to discuss next time. It helps me, helps y'all, and if you like my, this content as well, you can become a patron on my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash shining Nathan. And through that membership, you can ask future guests questions for you that they will answer. Now, let's get into our first guest, shall we? <laughs> Hello, everyone. We have with us Andrew. Andrew, welcome, my love. How are you doing this evening? I'm even better now that I'm talking to you. Oh, well, oh, such a flatterer. And I'm not going to complain at all. How has your <laughs> evening been? <laughs> uh, it's It's been great. Uh, spent some time with my daughter before bed, made sure dinner was where it needed to be. I uh, was able to put her to bed right before coming to talk to you. So it worked out just fine. Oh, that's wonderful. And that, and so give us, how young are you, sir? How, how young am I? I am 33. Okay. So you're just a year younger than me. Yeah, yeah, no, same age range. Perfect. And so tell me, tell me a little about your backstory. Tell me where you're from. Yes. Uh, so I was born and raised in East Tennessee. So um, right in you know the southern side of the Appalachian Mountains, right there, central southern Appalachian Mountains. Um, I was raised in a conservative Christian house um, by two parents that stayed together. You know, stayed married for you know, still are married one sibling a sister raised in the church raised you know playing sports going to church after on wednesday nights you know sunday morning sunday nights uh, my dad was a preacher still is you know on the side on occasion so i'm a, I'm a preacher's kid um, i went to high school in east tennessee went to college in east tennessee spent most of my life in and around the appalachian mountains Beautiful. Uh, yeah so uh, I learned in college that I wasn't straight, uh, didn't come to terms with that in a way that I could say to another person, not really, mm -hmm. until after I got married. Um, mm -hmm. And by that point, I was actually working in the church. I oh, was um, I uh, was pulled right, out, right after my undergrad, which was in communications. I was um, given the opportunity to work for a rather large church in East Tennessee. Mm -hmm. uh, supposedly as many as 2,000 members at one point in time. And um, 
went to that church, worked at that church, got ordained at that church, uh, went to seminary while in that church, got my master's degree from a local seminary. Um, but before that, I started talking quietly about how I wasn't just attracted to women. Mm-hmm. Um, and that moment had shaped more of my life up to that point than I had realized and shaped a lot of my life moving forward. That and my interactions with how ministries take care of the less fortunate and how that falls short, how that succeeds. Um, One thing led to another and now I work in Florida uh, doing uh, direct action justice work. Um, That's wonderful. Yeah, so that that's that's what I do, and I garden a lot. That that's probably my <laughs> that's, that's a whole different thing. But <laughs> and garden is an absolutely beautiful thing to be doing. And so, in we're circling back around to your background in discussing what masculinity is and what it means to be a man. How did your upbringing develop that, and where are you now in terms of that whole journey that has come up that has arisen? Yeah, so what I would could say now that I could not say then is that my masculinity was shaped more by what I was told I should not be than what I was told I should be. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of a lot of men's masculinity, a lot of people that are, you know, assigned male at birth, raised as men, um, because I don't think many boys are raised as boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I was parentified. I was adultified almost immediately. In my my um, measuring stick was not another boy. My measuring stick was be a man, uh, which meant be an adult. Before I had the capacity, you know, 20 years before my brain would fully develop to let me do that, mm-hmm. um, even though my desires were to remain a child. Anyways, <laughs> um, so so um, I would say that. Um, my masculinity was shaped by don't be like women. Mm-hmm. Whatever is effeminate, don't do that. It's the whatever a man is. We can't tell you exactly what it is. It's the opposite of that, though. Don't do yeah. that. Uh, don't throw that way. Don't dance that way. Don't act that way. Um, so a lot of it was shaped by what it means to be an Appalachian. You know, your emotions are to yourself. Um, take care of you and yours. Keep your business to yourself. Um, know how to hunt know how to you know repair a house if you need to uh, but it was also very much shaped by my father who whatever he was good at became part of his masculinity and what i can now say about myself is whatever i enjoy about myself is now part of my personhood or you could say my masculinity as well i did not see then what he was able to do um, which was say because i'm a good dancer dancing is now masculine instead of dancing being gay which was uh, labeled effeminate right yeah. um because i like exotic foods that doesn't make me weird or flamboyant as, as many appalachians might suggest um th- things have changed but that's how it was yeah. with him growing <laughs> up and yeah so uh he was able to take the things that he loved and insert it into his masculinity because the only lens he had for himself of his personhood was masculine mm. um so i guess I was shaped by his masculinity and the masculine like language of the populace around me. Yeah. And so in the terms of that learning of what is masculinity, what are things you've had to either unlearn in yourself or 
actualize of self? Because I know you mentioned your sexuality earlier on, but what are some other things that have either you had to unlearn or learn and actualize for you? Yeah, so I did not realize how much my view, my worldview was dependent on oppressive systems. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't realize how much my masculinity was determined by patriarchal uh, worldviews that would not exist if it weren't for capitalism, imperialism, and white supremacy. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't realize how much my view of masculine was also a view of man as primary and woman as secondary. Mm -hmm. um, I never thought those things on purpose, but looking back, it's obvious that that was an underpinning of, of, of how I was both taught to navigate the world and ended up navigating the world in a lot of ways. It came out in the way that I wrote, it came out in the way that I spoke, it came out in the way that I dated. Um, I had to unlearn this idea that the default of humanity is to be a man's man. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, and I didn't know that that was also holding me back from accepting parts of myself that I had villainized or treated as deviant. And I, I think that is a very true, especially because there's similarities between what the culture you're discussing in Latino male culture and the machismo-ness that is inherent within our culture. And oh, oh very much so. We, hold, we like, for instance, when I had we had our my funeral for my cousin, attending the funeral, I am the Latin man. I am stoic. I am the rock. I don't express. I can, but. I'm not that there house, for me to be by the way. This is for somebody but else. But also in your case, what is your favorite So I'm at that moment not allowed to grieve. I could. However, there's another there's a priority to be there for her, my mother, than there is for me to grieve in that moment cuz she's the one that needs me most. It, it's an interesting thing. I have broken down several things of it. Thankfully, I it's going to be weird. I was not raised by my father, so I don't have necessarily the same actualizations that other men in our culture have because mm. i was raised primarily by my mother and she was kind of like whatever you're going to be going to be go <laughs> here's try this thing try this thing oh you don't like that thing okay go do you that's so interesting um so so what i heard you say is that you know because of your mother's influence you had some kind of freedoms that you would imagine you would not have been able to have if you would have had your father's voice as present in those spaces yes 100 because my father would have wanted to mold me into what he wanted to mold me, um, which was a boxer, a mechanic, and a cantor. But he was in prison. So I was, my mother's idea was, you're, you're going to be the person you're going to be. I will introduce you to things. If you don't like it, cool. Let's keep going to something else. Let's go what you like. That is, so that ties back to something that, that I didn't think of mentioning. I'm glad you mentioned that because my father and my uncles would often joke whenever I was more emotional that it was from spending so much time around my mother because my mother is a very expressive person. My father would have been if, it, if his emotions had not been stifled. It is, obvi yeah. I, is obvious to me now, he is a very emotional person and was not ever given the space to actualize that. And that that's, un that, that's not right. Uh, no. But because my father had internalized, it's my mother's job to raise me. And he didn't know what to do with me in, in some ways. So uh, she, I got shaped by my mother in a lot of ways too. And, and in many ways for better, some ways for worse that I had to work through as well, you know, that things happen. But um, 
if it weren't for my mother pushing me to to find space and things like theater um and my father accepting dance and my mother pushing for it mm-hmm. um I, I don't think i would have found a way to escape that kind of like stoicism or like you know the the calcification that comes from toxic masculinity i i wouldn't have been able to escape that if it weren't being in space with my own mother yeah and i think that's a lot of things that people don't really necessarily under like see and so in terms of this actualization you've gone through process of unlearning some traits and learning traits about yourself how long ago did that happen again and was that i know you mentioned your sexuality was that the catalyst for it or was there another series of events that were pretty criticized predated that change because i i guess there was a change yeah so so uh looking looking back i i so, so i i wrote speeches that mm. the writing speeches is what got me through a lot of things i um did competitive speech writing and giving of speeches in high school and then that's how i ended up getting into college is winning a competition around writing speeches uh, w- my junior year the speech that i led with that i went with was a speech called who's the man talking about my frustrations about masculinity about what it meant to be a man and looking back i was close but i was still off target because all my lenses of masculinity had to do with what women wanted and, and my frustrations with with women i was still pointing out and and and, and i was still accusatory like 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 the only way my masculinity can come to fruition is if i'm wanted by a woman and so the measuring stick for my masculinity is what is found attractive and, and it was very like like um i i was not on the andrew tate train but but that rhetoric i i think if if someone would have found me in that fragile state i could have potentially gone in a different direction than the one that i did go in mm. um it is obvious to me now that what i was doing is i was desperate to find how could i define my masculinity outside of the desires of someone else mm. um and so that that that's the moment that's one of the first moments i can think of but if it it wasn't until um there was a guy named Nathaniel that i met when i was 19 and he's the first person who had the guts to say i think you're not straight I'm not either and that's okay. And he, and he's like I know you're Christian. Me too. It's okay. Can I buy you coffee? And I let him buy me coffee. Mm. And 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 that that moment is the one that kind of upset all of my normal because I felt comfortable with somebody. Mhm. and it it broke a lot of things because every i had internalized that gay is only effeminate and effeminate is bad for men i had internalized that because every time i was called gay it was whenever i was doing something they thought a woman would do and it was never a compliment and so how could i be something that was antithetical to everything i'm supposed to be mhm i i i started crumbling i started breaking um and it it would not be until until I auditioned for this movie called Before the Fall um I, I did a little bit of acting there's this movie called Before the Fall it was gay pride and prejudice in Appalachia that's Ooh. what fantastic story and i got to be in the room with the writer 
because the writer was part of this like acting club that I was a part of when I was like in my early 20s. And, and, and I got to be in the first read through and I was one of the two gentlemen who at the very end were supposed to have this impassioned kiss. And I showed up every day except for the last day when they were supposed to have the impassioned kiss. And I think that's the day I really admitted to myself that this is something that I was afraid that I, I was afraid of something that that seemed true. Um, so so I, I guess that's the longest way of saying, yeah, it, it, it's um, learning that I can still be all these things I would consider masculine while also being this thing that I was taught could only be feminine. Mm. started breaking down the whole worldview. It, it destroyed everything that I thought I understood about being a man or being whatever I am in this body. Like I'm still trying to figure <laughs> that out. Um, that, 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 that I can be in some kind of quantum flux between masculine and feminine at all times. And, and it can be defined outside of other people's desires mm. and also in response to other people's desires. And that, <laughs> that can also be fun. And so, yeah. Uh, whatever sense you make of that that's <laughs> uh, that was a beautiful answer which is right at the perfect time for us to move to the second guest and we will get back to okay. this whole conversation uh i will send you back to the waiting room for you to relax i'm sure you need to stretch your legs because it looks like you're on the floor there <laughs> i am i am i'm comfortable but but yes i'll definitely stretch Okay, go stretch and be a good boy in doing so. <laughs> I'll do that. I will most certainly do that. <laughs> I'll see you back in about 15 minutes, my love. Sounds good. <laughs> that was Andrew Red underscore Sage 01. I believe that is the actual uh, screen name. I love Andrew. He is fantastic. And next we are bringing on Dr. James Stein, fantastic other content creator on TikTok um, and other places. Fantastic creator. So let's bring him on out, shall we? Mr. Stein, how are you doing, my love? Oh, I'm good. I was just answering student emails on my phone <laughs> while I waited. <laughs> it sounds like a joy of a day <laughs> oh always always especially when it snows at nine in the morning and then there's no trace of snow later that afternoon very it's yeah the, the weather here really does gaslight you it's it's <laughs> it sounds like it's something but most mm -hmm. Texas gaslight you so i, I shouldn't be surprised <laughs> yeah that's fair utah same deal <laughs> so should I call you Dr. Stein or James? Which would you prefer to be addressed as? I usually prefer James, but if there's like a very important moment where you need to like lean in close to the mic, you can, you can, you know, gesture the title for dramatic fashion. <laughs> I, shall do I shall do that. <laughs> well, James, tell me, tell me about yourself. How young are you? And give me a little bit of your backstory. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I just celebrated my 33rd birthday, which means that I am halfway toward being a senior citizen. <laughs> take that take that with, with what you will. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm 33. Um, I am a professor at a moderately, uh, you know, medium-sized university in Southern Utah. Uh, that's not where I'm from, though. I'm from New Jersey. Uh, spent the first 24 years of my life there. It's where I went to college uh, and got my master's degree at Rutgers. And then I flew all the way to Tempe, Arizona to get my uh, doctoral degree from Arizona State. So I'm a Sun Devil. 
Uh, and yeah, that's that's the the just the general flair of my uh, my academic side, but my personal life story is a, a little less smooth. It's a it's a little more bumpy as one might expect. So we can get into that if you want to. I, I don't know what direction you'd prefer to go in. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because the discussion's about ma- what it's like, what it means to be a man and mm. reconstructing toxic masculinity. So let's go a little bit into that personal, shall we? Okay, well, well, let me say this. I'm very ready for this conversation because I just finished listening to part four of the Andrew Tate saga from one of my favorite podcasts, Behind the Bastards with uh, Robert Evans. So I, I, just a, a quick plug, I have no affiliation with him. I just like his content. He's a journalist uh, and a good one at that. So I can start in the same place that most white cisgendered men start, which is I was raised in a uh, quote unquote, fiscally conservative, but socially liberal home. Now what that meant was that between the ages of like nine and 15, it was Rush Limbaugh on radio during the day and Sean Hannity at night used to be Hannity and Coles, turned into The Hannity Show at night. Bill O'Reilly, The O'Reilly Factor, turned into Tucker Carlson. These are the shows that played uh, just in the background noise of my mind. And as a young boy, um, that sort of thing kind of sinks in real quick and real deep, and you don't really even know what's happening. So I had a lot of not good beliefs. because It's not like I was taught to be, uh, you know, uh, racist or homophobic per se, but it's something you, you, it's like a stew that you cook in for your whole life, right? It's like the boiling frog analogy, right? You turn the heat up higher and higher. So my own personal journey started when I was like 17. It was the first time I unlearned something. And at the time I was very anti-gay marriage. Um, and, And for the record, like, don't even talk about non-binary or trans people. This was not even a twinkle in my eye at that time. <laughs> so there was there was gay and there was not gay, and that's that's where I lived. And I, I'll never forget. I was downtown. I got into like an argument with one of my best friends about it because he was in favor of gay marriage, and our mutual friend was there, and she really didn't want to pick a side. She just wanted us to stop arguing. And then after it was over, she like went up to me and was like, "Why? Why are you so against this?" And I truly and sincerely had no answer for her. I was like, well, it's something about like, it, it, you know, it corrupts the name of marriage. And she's like, well, so you think gay people are corrupted? And I was like, no, of course not. And then I was like, oh, oh dear. Oh no. Wild and can that was make like, things and just like over the top. On, anything I can most think of, anything like that, that I like personally do, where I'm able with that to one, do that. that moment on, um, it was, okay, yeah, I'm fine with this now. And that was like step one of a hundred million on route to another hundred million more. Um, but just as a little, just to color that context a little bit more, uh, in 2012, I'll never forget. I was in a Krausers, which is like a seven 11 on the East coast as a Krausers buying muddy buddies. And I looked up and they were playing Fox news and I saw they were interviewing Donald Trump. And I remember this is 2012. And I remember thinking, you know, who would make a good president? That guy, that guy. (laughs) (laughs) And these are the thoughts of somebody with no education or experience or wherewithal in the area of politics. But, and this is what my my girlfriend tells me all the time, it's just the audacity to say, (laughs) I know, I know he'd make a good president because I know, because of course I do. And so 
The actual real unlearning, it, it didn't start until I moved to Arizona and went to graduate school. And so we're talking about nine years ago, if I'm being generous, is when I started reading articles that came from the critical paradigm and I started interacting with people who had a different life from me and they told me their story. So like the power of narrative mixed with the historical and sociocultural uh, um, uh, prowess of these very detailed articles slowly but surely morphed my opinion about what not just you know political ideology but like what does it actually mean to be a man in terms of what have i been taught very little what do i want to be no idea and where do i go from here and i think it's that last question of like where do i go from here that a lot of people get stuck in because mm -hmm. for me i was asking that question as somebody who was preparing to be a professor. So I kind of knew where I was going. Mm -hmm. But there are so many young men between the age of like 15 and 25 who ask themselves that question and they look around and they they go, oh, I, I don't know. I have no, wh where am I supposed to go? Someone needs to show me where to go. And that is of course when you get caught up in like the aesthetics of a guy like Andrew Tate or Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Um, who offer them a relatable face, they see themselves in this person, and then a specific ideology that they can latch onto and uh, relate to. And I'll be honest, if Andrew Tate was around when I was like 14, 15, I probably would have thought he was funny. I probably would have been into it. Not because I was like overtly misogynistic, mm -hmm. but because young men are really vulnerable and, and, and moldable at that point in time so so yeah all that to say i think like my own personal journey is one that has really not even been going on for that long and therefore has a long way to go mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately you know colors the way that i see other people who have these predispositions of what does it mean to be a man i feel like i can kind of relate to them and and, and that's why you know when i was active on social media i was often talking to people in the way that I would have wanted to talk to myself when I was younger and, and a bit more naive. And I, I, I actually try to do the same thing in terms of whenever I create content as well. And that's one of the reasons I appreciated everything you've done. I thought it'd be a great talking place. Um, what are some of the things that you've had to continually unlearn? What is a current, in or what, better yet, what does being a man mean to you? Mm. Well, I'd like to, I'll, I'll answer both parts of the question. I'll give you a, a tangible example of the first. Uh, because a lot of people will be like, I did it, I'm a feminist. I did it, I'm done. But that's of course, that's not how learning works. You must unlearn constantly. Uh, and I have the benefit of having a very um, outspoken, powerful, intelligent, significant other who does this all the time and teaches me Despite, right, I'm the one with the, I'm the one with the doctorate in the relationship. <laughs> she, no, she teaches me things all the time simply because she exists on a plane that I don't. And so things that are just there for her need to be told to me. For example, um, sometimes, and I'll say this myself, sometimes people will say this thing where they are talking about a problematic behavior and they'll be like, I hate when white women do this. And she'll always question me. She'll be like, are you saying that you hate white women and just inserting the word white so that you can be misogynistic? 
And I'm like, no, I'm definitely not doing that. And then when we talk, I'm like, oh no, maybe I'm doing that. So like, <laughs> it, it, it's really interesting how like you can unlearn things in you know in multiple ways from multiple levels from multiple sources. That's kind of the point. If you ask me, what does it mean to be a man? Um, I think that that's an entirely subjective definition, which is probably how we got into the position <laughs> that we find ourselves in. Um, for me, being a man means being um, truthful with yourself. Uh, being a man means doing what's right. And being a man means understanding the role that you play in terms of healing society uh, and in terms of <clears throat> acknowledging your own faults. Um, and I think that all of those things take a lot of the traditionally masculine characteristics that that most people like really try to uh, uh, brag about. Um, power, patience, influence, like these things, uh, it's easier to unlearn and do these things if you have all of that. And so for, for many people, that struggle is, is deeper because of their lack of privilege. Mm -hmm. And I fully agree about that. Um, and then going from there in this process, what are some things that are quote unquote feminine about yourself that you've come to love and appreciate? Yeah, this is actually something that I do with my students quite often, where we talk about the characteristics of masculinity and femininity, because that's really all they are. Yeah. Um, feminine characteristics for me, I view um, nurturing, caregiving, empathizing, uh, the ability to practice patience and control one's uh, uh, tendency toward outburst uh, and, and to uh, harness one's emotional intelligence, which itself is an extremely complex phenomenon. But the idea of controlling your emotions is this hyper-masculine way of just saying, if you're stoic, you are the master of your own emotions. But part of being emotionally intelligent means understanding when it's time to emote. Um, and even a and, big part of stoicism, the actual teaching, does acknowledge the fact that you have to feel those negative inherent feelings first, but mm -hmm. acknowledge what you cannot change about certain situations. And people often forget about that when they talk. Yes, absolutely. And I think that, you know, me personally, I'm not an especially expressive person. Mm -hmm. The only time I'm really expressive is when I'm like playing sports or teaching. Um Sport? Oh yeah, so I, I play professional uh, cross country wiffle ball. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a whole thing. It's a whole community, and I get very passionate there. But when <laughs> I, you know when I'm uh, when I'm uh, uh, I get passionate with my dogs too. But when, when I'm you know if I'm in an argument with my girlfriend or if you know there, there's a moment of intense concentration, I tend to um, probably as a result of my uh, attachment style, I'm a little bit um, detached as an attachment style. Um, I tend to hold it in and that's partly because i've been trained to do that but even that there's a difference between like feeling an emotion and expressing an emotion and so if you get to this point where you're trying to stop yourself from feeling emotions you're probably in a really bad space and uh you know the expression of emotion that's a completely different thing but it, it, it's this idea it's like of, of toxic stoicism where you forget that part of being stoic means acknowledging that your emotions are real and worth feeling and I see your dog, your baby right there as well. Oh yeah, Goose is, <laughs> Goose is having a good old time. <laughs> 
and that's a fantastic th- way to put all of this into just a wonderful little nutshell, nutshell, a little bow, um, and a little gift to discuss that. And what is something that you have discovered of yourself that you did not realize of self before you started your journey on trying to deconstruct some of that toxic masculinity? What is something that you've discovered since then of yourself? Uh, one of the one of the big things I've learned is that. Well, let me do two things. On on like the more important scale, I've learned that audacity is the best thing I can do in my journey toward allyship. I can leverage my audacity in some really insanely, truly insanely powerful ways to just help uh, other folks. Um, another thing that I've learned, a smaller thing that I've learned, is that I really enjoy like home decor, which I think that like that's one of those things that like people will be like oh that's for the women to do and like no <laughs> no to have, men are allowed to have taste i'm allowed to have taste um, <laughs> and so um you know at the very least i i like uh you know i'm fortunate enough to be a homeowner and when i was you know putting my house together i i, I was able to set a tone for the space in which i live which is like in my opinion, so imp- and it's a very privileged thing to be able to do, but it's still so important because if you're just staring at four walls, like if, if you've seen like the the meme of like a like POV, you go back to his house after a night at the bar and it's like <laughs> a mattress and a TV and like one folding chair. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like that I is, mean, yeah. it's just harmful to self growth. If you look at that every day, like, like, exterior beauty can help to manifest one's internal beauty in many ways and i fully embrace that and obviously you've got you've gotten very good taste considering how well you've positioned every single book on that shelf behind you (laughs) oh i'm very proud of these books these my parents got these books back in the 80s and 90s uh they're all leather bound they're all i just finally got my hands on them uh, and so the first thing I did is is my birthday. So I asked for a bookshelf for my birthday, and, and now they're up. And I love walking past them every day. I love it. And it's beautiful. And happy birthday, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're only a year younger than me. Well, probably a year and a half. About to be, I think, thirty five. If I did my math right. right. <laughs> I'm not even 100% sure of my own age, but that is going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how you know. That's how you can tell we're starting to get up there because we keep forgetting how old we are. <laughs> I swear I'm 28. <laughs> I, you know, I swear I'm 28 when I'm drinking. And then I remember mm. the day after that I am absolutely not 28. Yep. Yep. And it was, dude, yesterday was painful. And I was like, please, <laughs> please let me be healed tomorrow because i went and drank <laughs> for 15 hours straight and Oof. choices were made at least i didn't do anything unto that i remember untoward so that that's been a- <laughs> that's good oh and if we're talking about masculinity by the way this is like one of my biggest brags um i went to rutgers for college which is a rough party school like when i say a, i mean it's like a dirty party school it's it's great <laughs> But I take like great pride in being able to reflect back because I've I've never blacked out once. I take mm-hmm. great pride in being able to reflect back on my time in college and know with in immense certainty that neither myself or any of the men in my friend group ever abused or harmed or intimidated or threatened a woman. We were so 
not about that, even during a time where, for example, I would have thought that Donald Trump made would make a good president. It was a, a just a it's a really good thing to be able to look back on and think about. I and I would that. encourage I, I would hope that all young men can look back on their college days or their high school days or their young adulthood and have that same confidence and and like good feeling like we did dumb things don't get me wrong oh yeah oh god never did we um any 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 sort of behavior that would be even remotely considered close to abuse or assault or harassment of any kind that's fantastic i mean i will acknowledge that i had some blackout moments but <laughs> I, I had a, I had a team corralling me at all times because I could I had a tendency to disappear if not. <laughs> oh, you were that friend. I had a friend like that too who just vanished. You know, <laughs> you know, I I've always been little very. You know, we're not gonna. This is not about me. Uh, <laughs> I you know. Anyway, shall we bring on Andrew? We should bring we back sh- on. We shall. We shall. Yes. <laughs> I, I went to school at a part of school, Texas Corpus, and mm. we were the theater arts department. And so our parties were all weekend long. Welcome back, Andrew. I'm glad to have you back. How was your break? Oh, it was fantastic. I did everything I was told to do. Except, <laughs> except for the wardrobe change. Except for the wardrobe change. I can make that happen right <laughs> I got a duster on that. You know what? <laughs> there he goes. I love it. I, if I if I had if I had a moment, I would have gone to do a quick costume change, but I am trapped. <laughs> wow! Ooh. Look at that—a whole new man. Look at that entirely different. Lovely. Vibe. Look at this. I love that. That, that, is, that is nice. I love that. Yeah. Welcome back. We've had a fantastic conversation between James and I and Andrew and I. So now let's have a conversation between both of you, shall we? Mm. Now, it's been a very long time since I've had to have this type of conversation with two men at one time. But let's get into it. Oh. <laughs> so let's, we've all, we've just, Andrew discussed religion in his course of his exploration of masculinity and how that played a role. How much did, has religion or background of that nature played a role in y'all, in both of your perspective of masculinity and that journey? Who wants to go first, or do y'all want to talk amongst yourselves? Hmm. I have some initial thoughts. Uh, James, do you, do you want to go, or? No, no, you lead the way. Okay, so um, the, the the two paths, the two through lines that I think of first is how, um, regardless of what the cultures that the Bible is written in had to say about masculinity, masculinity of my regional upbringing became associated with godliness Mm -hmm. um so like the 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 ideal the the godly way of being um would have been like any average man but but just a little bit better right uh what the, the better would not have been away from their masculinity it would have been from some kind of vice or some kind of pride or some kind of thing um, the other through line would be, while in seminary, I, I got to get a, a a better picture of how the the Torah talks about the nature of God, 
and how that differs so drastically from the masculinity of my upbringing. Um, and yet, most people that read that do not care. They, they, they kind of imbue their own masculinity onto, uh, onto God um, because they associate God exclusively as masculine. Um, so so I, I guess those are two through lines. To, to summarize that, I guess, is um, masculinity was considered holy in my upbringing. And then when I learned enough to show that maybe that wasn't right, no one seemed to care because because patriarchy was a stronger domineering tool that spoke through religion rather than religion speaking through patriarchy, I guess, mm -hmm. is, is what I might say. James, I, I spoke for longer than I intended. You go right ahead. <laughs> well, so my experience was pretty much the exact opposite. I was raised without religion. Okay. Like, and, and I don't mean that my parents were like, we are atheists. Like, what I mean is that I would get regular sit downs from them where they were like, now we don't practice religion in this house, but if someday you want to explore it, you're more than welcome to. It was that kind of thing, which is mm -hmm. ironic because my parents are the ones who converted to Presbyterianism uh, while I deviated towards Satanism. And so <laughs> there's a smidgen of difference there. I mean, you have to, you have to hold your head sideways, but there's a slight, <laughs> slight oh, uh, uh, difference there. But it's so interesting because, you know, when I grew up, I was taught that if you are the type of person to like do Pentecostal preaching or like like the Joel Alsteins of the world, like I was taught that those are just grifters like they're just con men and so i grew up my whole life knowing I, oh you're a con man oh you're a grifter oh you obviously who doesn't know that but that colored my perception of masculinity because to me now you know now here in my 33 year old body i see men like that and to me that it's the opposite of masculinity it, it it's fear-mongering it's outrage porn it's cowardice in, in in to me right and so for me i'm like oh none of these things are masculine these are all it they're not feminine either they're just there uh, uninspired unoriginal same thing has been going on since 1500 years before the birth of jesus christ so it it was always so clear and obvious to me but it wasn't until I forced myself to look into the like the priorities and the viewpoints of folks who grow up believing these things that I understood kind of what Andrew was saying about the inextricable intertwining of masculinity and godliness. And so that in terms of you talk about like unlearning stuff, like for me, that took me forever to understand. It was so hard for me to wrap my head around that because of how clearly I was instructed from childhood not to trust that sort of, you know, fear mongering. That's, that's incredible. Um, it's, it's interesting, interesting to hear you say it like that because you, you got the chance to hear this from the outside. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I kind of did a little bit, but not entirely. Like, like um, the the church movement I was a part of was independent Christian, and so it had a view of de denominations and and like Pente like Pentecostals, Baptists, and and various others as the um, 
as kind of like the whack jobs uh, of it all. It's just like, 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 um, like those are the judgmental ones. Those right. are, the, are the sensationalist ones. We're the rational ones. It That's exactly what my parents say. That's exactly what, they're not like us. They're nothing like us, which is so interesting because it's true in many ways. But it's kind of like when people say like, well, I'm not racist. I just voted for Trump. And it's like, yeah, well, <laughs> who, who, did, who did all the white supremacists vote for? The same one you voted for. Don't you think there might be some unpacking to do there? That kind of thing. That, all of that, yes. So like, so, so there were certain things that I was, I was able to see from, the, from that perspective saying that kind of Christianity is a problem. Um, mm. it, it, and, and whatever was considered that kind, the, the box got bigger and bigger as I grew up, but I, w I could not escape the, um, as you said, you said it so well, the inextricable intertwining of it. Um, mm. It's almost like Christian was a trait looked for in a good, to tie, to tie us back to heteronormativity, a, a good um, partner for a woman was a Christian man. Well, like, like he needed to also be Christian among these other traits. Otherwise, he wasn't bring home material. Mm. Um, and, and so that was another part of the valuing. It's like godliness must be attached to masculinity. Um, heteronormativity must be attached to masculinity and viability within a monogamous like marital structure um seeking the 2.5 kids in a white picket fence that also has to be tied to masculinity oh All yeah that the, the nuclear family yeah now, exactly. does the point does the point five have mean literal or does that include <laughs> <the dog? laughs> well, you know there's this guy named king solomon and he had this great idea <laughs> no no um that that was the average of the time right it was yeah. like um on average a u.s household had two and a half kids I, I forget where that that might just be a cliche at this point oh no i think so too but i i remember it too thankfully i was a well no technically there were two children in my no i was the only child my brother my mo only brother my mother had is 19 years older than me mm. wow yeah, he's an exer my mother's a boomer that is interesting and so for y'all, that is another way that, that also plays into masculinity, the differentiation of the parents. Because some, some people at our age group were raised by Gen Xers. I was raised by a boomer, which is... Same. She's 71, I think. Yes, she was born 51. I don't... I'm not good at math. I am not good at math. No, do no, I no my, my father's nearly the same age, so... Okay, yeah, my so parents are right around there, yeah. Yeah. All of us are raised by boomers. So it's, that yeah. is a very interesting. I've met a few friends that were raised by Gen Xers and they're like, oh, is that your grandmother? I'm like, that's my mother. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is my mother. Uh, it's That's okay. Uh, are y'all also being racist because she could have had me significantly earlier? Is that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't. <laughs> sorry. Way off oh, track. Sorry. Way off track. And I know we brought it up a couple times before, so I'm going to circle way back. And we've mentioned Andrew Tate, not Andrew here. Um, how do you think boys and young men wind up sucked into that Andrew? Because those are all three of us can look at it from here and just be like, he's such a loser. I mean, that's the way I say it. He's such a loser. Like, yeah. period. But how do you think young men and boys wind up get, just getting sucked down into that? I have a hypo a working hypothesis here. <laughs> um, I think that 
For Andrew Tate to exist, there must be an incel community. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase from what I was telling you, that that um, four-part series by Robert Evans, Behind the Bastards, on Andrew Tate here. But while listening to that, I really thought a lot about the difference between a guy like Tate and Jordan Peterson. Tate is obviously further down the pipeline. Jordan Peterson creates incels, right? He snatches them out of a, a, you know, in a vulnerable time and ultimately teaches them to do the things that will isolate them. Andrew Tate needs that group. Without that group, he doesn't exist because he needs a group of nihilistic, self-hating, um, you know, you know, bordering on on self harm uh, uh, or harming others type of men, so that he can grab them by the cheeks and look them in the eye and say, "No, you've got to get a Bugatti, and if you don't have a Bugatti, <laughs> so like, and when when you get to that level of intensity, it becomes very easy. You look at Andrew Tate; he's talking very loudly. There's a, a, a heuristic overload happening here. You get uh, emotional flooding emotional contagion and it gives you a sugar high it gives you a temporary high of adrenaline uh, which you connect to this idea of being violent and masculine and although most of the people who listen to andrew tate are not going to do violence against women because they've been listening to andrew tate they're desensitized to it which is a huge problem because then when a guy like andrew tate gets arrested for human trafficking well the matrix got him it's not he committed a bunch of crimes and will be serving time in Romanian prison. It's he predicted it. The, the, the Matrix got him. Like, no, he's he just the police raided his house six months before they arrested him. He knew it was coming. Um, but they allow themselves to believe that sort of thing because he catches them at such a vulnerable point and inserts their his personality into them. So that's my long-winded way of, of hypothesizing how this happens to so many young impressionable men. I, I, I go ahead, go ahead. That, no, that, this is, is so interesting. I, I, um, so, so it's obvious that it wasn't until you said it that the dots kind of connected for me, like what this has always felt like. And it's this kind of like white knuckling of a way of being a man. Um, it, it's it like, at least it's what it feels like. It's, it's, it, it's in every step down the ladder or up the ladder, depending on how you look at it, I guess is is a further clinching on to no i'm going to hold on to this way of being for dear life i let because this is insufferable emotionally constipated you know ov overly loquacious kind of like uh i am this way and this is the way i should be and everyone should be like me and in a world where people like me are in charge everything's good and when you sell that to someone that's never had power it, it's it's sexy i could see that that makes a lot of sense to me and I, to see that as a trickle down from one to the other is just like when when the uh rubber meets the road on the jordan peterson story and it doesn't deliver you need either to divert from it and go a different direction or you need something that could, that you can hold on to a little tighter mm -hmm. perhaps something more aggressive perhaps something more violent like we, we we all do this with different ideologies i mean this isn't a unique thing uh it's just particularly obvious to us right like we, we all have a cognitive dissonance of some kind of of, of way of being and in this case I, I guess i hadn't noticed that each of these are kind of like boss levels on 
Uh, she had, like, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, 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 like the first Pokemon gym is not is not Jordan Peterson, but maybe he's the third, right? And, and, and <laughs> got to be a certain level of self-loathing and angry and and hold on and, and level up to that point to beat that gym. And but you can't make it. You can't make it to the fourth gym at the same level. You can't do it. You got it. You got to level up. Something's got to happen to you along the way. Um. It's all about making sense of a world that they that everything they've been handed doesn't make sense anymore, does it? Mm-hmm. And you, you just need someone confident enough and loud enough and projecting a certain kind of success enough, and that's all it takes. But it's getting harder and harder, isn't it? Yeah, because the world's falling apart for men like that, and so yeah, and w- it's not aggressive enough. What's so interesting, though, about about Tate is that he like and this was something again, not to continue calling back to Robert Evans. I just don't want to make it sound like it's an original thought when it's not. He he dabbles in left wing ideology. Like if you listen to some of the things that he says, he'll talk about how like capitalism is a scam and all the billionaires. it's It's a class war and they're all against you and us and even me, even though I'm rich, I'm not as rich as them. And so then but then he he takes a right turn, right? Instead of saying we should dismantle the system. (laughs) Right. Instead of saying we should dismantle the system that's creating poverty by necessity, he goes, you got to scam the scammers and I'll teach you how to do it as long as you give me money. Which again, to me is like, he just told you to scam the scammers and then asked you for money. Like, shouldn't you be able to make that connection? But no, especially not when, if, if you're anything like me growing up, it wasn't me putting, $29.99 into Andrew Tate's Discord, that was my parents' credit card. They weren't asking a whole lot of questions. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Except with me, it was was RuneScape with me. It was was RuneScape. I was like, RuneScape. I wasn't trying to. I I love RuneScape. Yeah, I love RuneScape too. And then eventually you have to pay to play. But the, the only difference there is that I was doing nerd stuff and not learning about how to treat women like objects. That's literally, it could have been anything is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and so in the, in the vein uh, 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 in the vein of this conversation, how would you redirect, or what would you recommend to redirect boys and young men that are currently in this kind of sphere or on that I guess the pipeline? Um, what would you tell loved ones that are maybe watching this that see their loved one going down that path? What can be done to help? or to redirect them back to a way that's more healthy for the development. What would you two think or say? So, one of the directions I think this conversation could go is, I I have a marketing thing to say and then a relationship thing to say. Um, Go ahead. um, I don't think in this moment, the way that we navigate relationships in our capitalist society equips us to outmarket good marketers. Mm-hmm. There is more rhetoric being thrown at these young men at a faster rate that I can develop a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. The The wall becomes so high so fast and, and I, I have to get past, they're still on autopilot when I start talking to them. That they all they all they're doing is espousing and regurgitating the, the rhetoric that they've been given because I, I he has had more time to say more things to them and feed them more arguments than I can ask questions. Mm-hmm. 
So I mean, it's just like with marketing, you know, when, when there's too many billboards and there's too many advertisements, the wall is so high that the people can't don't even really unglaze their eyes when they look at the poster board anymore, you know? I, I think that's what's happening with a lot of this rhetoric is, it, is it's getting it's hitting so fast and so long and so and it gives a better high as James said right than than a relationship with me could ever give um unless I'm there for a long long time mm-hmm. so I, I think that's one of the problems is we don't get past the rhetoric we, we we can't get past the fight with half of the people we talk to and they're just on autopilot they're not even trying to fight with us they're yeah. just parroting. I, I think the only thing that can fix that is the thing that gave James something that wasn't Andrew Tate and the thing that gave me something that wasn't depression and self-harm. Uh, I needed theater. That was a community that I had. I, it was an actual living community that let me exist among them and function and breathe and, and grow. Um, for James, I'm sure it wasn't just RuneScape, but he had an outlet where he got to do something socially with other people, right? It, it, he had a social avenue for social relationship. Um, I I think that a lot of these young men don't ha, have not been equipped in society for appropriate relationships, first of all. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to blame everybody for, for someone's problems, but we, we, we stopped figuring out how to do relationships well long before this moment. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so, like, it is so much easier to get a high from a screen than it is to develop to, to, to do this, what we're doing in this moment. And, and so the marketing's the problem. I think the relationships are the answer. To be in a community where you can exist period that could turn you another direction i know that doesn't give the exact answer but i i don't see a way around it without tearing past the marketing through some kind of relationship and that's going to take a fuck ton of time i don't don't know yeah the end (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll i i kind of want to echo what you said uh in different words uh i'm going to start with a joke I want to I go with three different levels of uh, methodology. The first is the individual level. That's the joke, I promise. Then I want to talk about the relational level, and then I want to talk about the societal level. For me, and this is just for me, the more... I, am I allowed to swear? Of course. This is fuck time. I hope so. Oh, more, yeah, no, this is for YouTube. We, do, we can talk about a lot, a lot of things that are not community guidelines. <laughs> okay, good. So just to be totally blunt, the more I was fucking the less misogynistic I became. Straight up and down. I find that with with rare exception, with rare exception, if the the more times you experiment with new lovers or the same lover, the more you realize that everything that's coming out of the mouth of a guy like Andrew Tate is fairy tale nonsense. Mm -hmm. And that there, of course, there may be, um, you know, some women who uh, enjoy uh, or, or, or who put up with perhaps that level of abuse, the impossibly large majority of men and women don't want to be treated that way, right? And you learn that by having intimate interactions with people, specifically sex. And so like, as I dated more fervently, I realized <laughs> that like- Is that what we're not, calling it now? I don't Dating know, but- <laughs> When I went through my fuckboy phase, like one of the big things that it taught me was <laughs> that- what you want to say. Yeah, when I went through that phase, it, it really did teach me that like, there's no such thing as spit and game. 
Like women, real. M- women just see right through that dumb shit. Sometimes they'll have sex with you anyway, if you're cute, <laughs> but, but then they won't hit you back up. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. like, I don't know. It's like, like the idea of game where it's like, oh, you can't let her know that you just want to have sex. Yes, you can. You absolutely can and you should and you should because if you got it like that you're probably getting laid anyway so yeah that's 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 the individual level like if if you act that way it's probably just evidence that you are lonely and not experienced in that field the relational level which is a little bit more serious and this is part of what i really wanted to do during my time on social media was not necessarily i mean partly speak to these young men but also train the people around them mm-hmm. in how to approach these young men via the socratic method understand what they're about to say understand why it's a fallacy and know where to locate information that can debunk what they're saying because maybe they won't listen to me but they might listen to their sibling they might listen to their friend or their significant other if they're saying the same or similar things you know in in a way that you know cuz if you have a relationship with this young man you might be able to reach him in a way that you know an influencer or a talking head on TikTok simply can't do so i think that socratic method of question asking is really big at the relational level so if you see someone going through that work to to um be patient with them you know and then finally at the societal level it one of the big things that we can do to solve this is same is one of the same things that we can do to solve the crime issues that we have in densely populated metropolitan areas which is make more social programs like make government state local funded social programs i made a dozen friends in little league was i good at baseball no i was 4 foot 6 <laughs> i was 4 foot 6 and i was 70 pounds i could barely lift the bat but it didn't matter because my friends were playing and I was playing we were all having fun and we had good coaches who understood that the purpose of little league was to have fun and make friends not to win the game so if we craft more social programs like that it will give the necessary sense of community that ultimately stops people from those feelings of isolation that ultimately guide them toward a guy like Andrew Tate and that's my and that like Andrew said it's a multi-generational fix that does not happen tomorrow next week next year it takes decades so i don't know if we're going to do that but i think it's the biggest solution i hope oh, go ahead andrew well there's there's an element there that that i didn't i, I didn't think about it until until you said it and and uh, to say it differently than i think you did which is um when you have community you have so much less need for language of power on the individual scale like these these people keep talking about power as an individual you don't need that as there's no such thing as individual power like right Uh, there there's like uh, large amounts of organized money large amounts of organized people um you can placate the systems of power and have favor within them but an individual rarely has like legit like the ability to help and hurt on a grand scale unless they Mm -hmm. have large amounts of organized money or the backing of large amounts of um organized people people. So, Mm -hmm. so it, 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 on on that level of relationship where where you have you already have freely the thing that they're selling that these guys are selling which is relationship you mm-hmm. no longer need the illusion of a power structure to manipulate or to take or to learn or to like um trick like you don't need that power skill set 
to to dominate someone else into giving you what you want if it's being given freely i hadn't considered how social programs play into that but they absolutely do when we have those uh programs in place relationships come freely that you don't have to learn how to like win them or dominate mm-hmm. them or grab them and that's that's brilliant it, it's uh it fixes a lot of problems that lead to people feeling powerless. Mm-hmm. But I think the best part about that is it can be started tomorrow. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if you or someone you know is going through one of these issues, you can start helping them to unlearn tomorrow. You can't create Little League in your town tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like you That's can't true. create a theater program in your community you can try and start tomorrow, but it won't be there tomorrow. Whereas the conversation can actually physically happen tomorrow. And I think that that's big because we need short and long-term solutions. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, a triage and a new hospital. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so let's go to something that's a little bit more fun. And what it, I asked the question of James, but Andrew, what is something that is quote-unquote considered feminine that you have come to enjoy? Hmm. Um, what is something that is considered feminine that I've come oh, to enjoy? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> probably... Um, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. Uh, self-care? like i I hate to say it that way but like i mean the amount of men that just like don't celebrate hygiene and caring for themselves like like talking i am learning that on tiktok i'm learning about don't wash their ass (laughs) it's a whole thing like i I, I have always like like long ago I would find myself envious of women or um, more outwardly or overtly gay men as however you would determine that um, who would celebrate their looks or their shoes or their clothes or their makeup or their their skincare routines and, and it's these these like smaller how how easy it is to celebrate yourself and how often masculinity teaches young men they're not allowed to mm. and and so i guess actually my answer is celebrating myself like to to delight in in, in these little moments of like self-care and enjoyment um and, and with that you know dabbling in makeup dabbling in in nail polish dabbling in all these things that are considered effeminate but like that kind of self-care and celebrating it is something that I've learned to let myself mm. have. That's yeah, I, lo- yeah. I love painting my nails, but because I'm such like a big, strong alpha male, whenever <laughs> I go- <laughs> whenever, no, but this is this is for real, Z's though. Whenever I go to the gym and I'm lifting weights, which is not something I do much more than a couple times a week because I try to diversify my exercise. But when I'm lifting weights, I think something about the way that I grip the weights makes the gel chip. Like, oh no. Like, it's (laughs) horrible. And like, I can't, like I tried soft gel, I tried hard gel. I'm about to just do press-ons and then press off for the gym. (laughs) So are are you gripping like this? Are you gripping like this? Like, Like with your thumbs under, like here? 
I guess, either under or over if I'm holding dumbbells, depending on the way that I'm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Try a false grip because it doesn't engage the ends of your fingers. Instead of gripping like this, turn oh. your thumb up here, oh, grip like so. this. Well, because it, you can't engage these last muscles here, and so you can't turn your fingers under when you do a false grip. Oh, maybe I'll just do that. I'd have to drop weight, but well, I mean, it's, you are just as strong on pull movements from a false grip as you are. Right. So. Oh, maybe I'll give that a try. I'm gonna have to, here's what I'm gonna do. I know exactly what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do an experimental design because I, there's no way for me not to turn this into an academic activity. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll get my, I got a fresh coat of like powder dip and then I'll do a traditional grip with one hand and a false grip with the other hand and I'll see if one hand chips and the other one does not. I'm so excited for this. I, I'm so I, I, I need to know the outcome because I have I the problem. I just switched to I just switched to powerlifting. Uh, Good for you. Which thank you. I am exceedingly strong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just I re just reached my first PR of 245 on my bench. So nice. That, That's yeah. wonderful. It, it, it's intense. Uh, it's intense. But do you wait? Problem. Hold on. Do you? do PRs like that, like in the hat and the dress, because that <laughs> would be the best sight ever. That would break every Andrew Tate fan I need to, to watch you no, humiliate their max in a dress. Am I wrong? I need to do that. I don't think you're wrong. Because I go for comfort. So I look and people mm. have seen me and I feel so sorry for these people that wind up running into me at at the grocery store after I left the gym <laughs> because I am in like a muscle shirt and shorts and I am disgusting. I am the epitome of disgusting. And they're like, oh my God, shiny. They're like, fuck, I forgot my mask. Hi. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's not because I don't want you to hug me. It's just, I am exceedingly gross and we're not in the right environment. What that, this can be, you know what, let's not talk about some of the communities I'm a part of, but it's been one of the most interesting things is the fact that, but I will, I should talk to my trainer who's been teaching me powerlifting. She's a lesbian, very, very butch. We joke about it, but she's this tall and I'm 5'4 and she's this tall on me. Wow. And I adore her and she would probably die laughing. Just me walking in full gown, just like video it, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> that would be, I, I feel like if you did that, like, you know, like the thing where like someone like posted exceedingly rude comment, making an assumption about you that's like demonstrably false. Mm -hmm. Like if you wait for the right comment about somebody calling you like too effeminate or something like that, and then reply to that comment with you doing like 215 for reps <laughs> in a dress, you know what I mean? Like, I just yeah. feel like the virility of a post like that would be unmatched. Oh yeah, I, and I've been wanting to do it. It's just like, I forget that my phone exists. I am a horrible, horrible quote unquote <laughs> influencer. Like I rarely, I rarely create content outside these four walls. And then, cause then I'll be at the gym cause I go with my trainer once a week and then five days a week I work out by myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll see these guys at like 4 PM with like a tripod and like a full setup. And I'm like, it is 4 PM on a Tuesday <laughs> you are creating con like I, I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shoot down the hustle however it is 4 p.m. on a Tuesday and I need that <laughs> fucking machine anyway <laughs> so I'll just walk over and like hey, how many more reps do you have um oh do you want me to pick down the weight no can you add more that'd be great thank you yeah uh, <laughs> I will say it is an absolute, like I work out at the same time as most of the like 
veterans at my gym and it is fun with this hair um and usually in like mid thigh shorts i have to if i don't want my, to lay on my hair i'll put up a top knot and then i'll bench from there and that is the top knot is still not exactly the most masculine thing to some people <laughs> <laughs> and so I'll have like this big old gold nose ring or some gold earrings and then I'll have like mid-thigh shorts and a top knot benching and it's it's a fun time it's, <laughs> it's... it was I will say it was interesting because I did have small fake pointed nails press-ons like mm. they were a little coffin like not even they were barely a pip but they were very there was power in having those long nails I, did, I hated mm. them I hated having them because I'm very practical in terms of things I do. But working out with them, I was like, okay, okay, let's do this. And one foot, I was like, I hope that didn't hit anybody. <laughs> that, that is no longer a me problem. Uh, <laughs> but I do get looks that I, I will wear, I'll forget that I'm wearing this or I'll wear an, a, an earrings. And then of course, I normally have these all painted, but it is interesting. But I'm in San Antonio and we're fairly, very liberal city. And the gold gym I go to is a lot of gays go there. It's the second gay gym in the city. The first one's the other golds off of I-10 and 410. Uh, <laughs> evidently, I don't care. I just don't want people to look at me while I'm working out. Let me finish. <laughs> um, so in this wonderful conversation, my patrons ha get to ask questions of my guests. And we have three fantastic questions from some of my patrons. Um, and to anybody watching or listening to this, if you'd like to ask questions of our future guests, feel free to become a patron on my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Shining Nathan for as low as $3 a month. So now let's get into these beautiful questions, shall we? Now, this first one is from Heather. And my own handwriting sucks. So is it becoming more acceptable for men to be emotionally vulnerable and supportive in their friendships with each other? I find many men I know are only vulnerable emotionally with their their romantic partners and therefore wind up alone if the loss of that partner were to ever happen. Mm. Gentlemen? I can start. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, well, I think, I think in a couple of ways, um, Heather almost answered their own question there with this idea of like, it is, but only to an extent. Um, I think that the, the, uh, the jig is up in terms of men understanding, heterosexual men, understanding that the women who they end up in relationships with want somebody who's going to be vulnerable with them and want somebody who's going to be real with them. But I do not think that that has yet bled into platonic friendships mm -hmm. or, and perhaps more importantly, professional relationships. And I'll speak anecdotally. Uh, the study of communication is a female-dominated field. Um, still have men, though, right? Uh, and so when men participate in my class, they are a little bit more timid than I might expect men to be. And I think part of the reason of that is because they're really afraid that if they say something silly or, 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 or sensitive or vulnerable, that this large classroom filled with mostly women will judge them or not like them. And it never happens, right? It never happens. And so by the end of the semester, people are much more open. But I think that what it really comes down to is taking that masculine risk 
of putting yourself out there and, and, and being vulnerable. And like, it's like when people say like, oh, nobody wants, nobody wants to date a girly man. Like, right. And they say, it's like, who says that? Who says that? Is it other men who say that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's only other men who say that. Right. So the practice of doing that assuages those, those doubts. I just don't think it's become mainstream at the level that folks like us might, might want it to be, or might see it as being in our community, in the larger community. I, I just don't think it's there yet, but I think it's moving in that direction slowly. Yeah, I, I would agree with, um, I would agree with a lot of things that you said, and I'll, I'll repeat some some of them in my own words. But I also want to say uh, something else from like a uh, a, a ch uh, relationships within the church perspective and how that has affected some things. So, um, I would agree that she kind of answered her own question, and yes, it is becoming more acceptable for people to be for men to be more intimate, especially in heteronormative relationships. I will say though that we are still copying a behavior that is um, reinforced by Christian hegemony, which is that the the wife of the man is to be his everything, and so all the Ooh, in, in, yeah. all the all the intimate needs and all the all the uh, private relational needs and personal relational needs all get poured into this one person who is already being expected because of the patriarchal underpinnings to take care of everything um and so now she's also taking care of everything that her husband needs emotionally so i i think there is like this problem within the christian reinforcement of heteronormative marriage and there's this great book about it um uh, that i've gotten to read again recently recommended by a friend of mine named all the rage by darcy lockman um it talks about um the gender imbalance that happens within the household Mm -hmm. um between heteronormative couples great book and so so i do think that men are figuring out how to be more open and intimate but i do think that there are ways that it can look like men are becoming more open and intimate when it's actually just a reinforcement of christian hegemony on heteronormative relationships well she's going to be my everything and so i'm going to put all my intimacy into her all my private needs all my personal needs into her instead of learning how to be more emotionally open with other people which leads me into the church conversation um when when you create church ministry especially in evangelical circles you're trying to create opportunities for people to feel emotional intimacy in large settings as fast as possible in small groups, in uh, worship services, in, um, in in classroom settings, we want people to feel like they can express and bear their all to someone. And, and, and there is a reinforcement in that Christian structure of things going from social to intimate, fast, nothing in between. It's social, we're all here for a shared desire, and then it's intimate. You know deep things about my life, you know my struggles, my sins, and you're going to accept me for it. Mm. If, if, if it works right, so I, I think that pending on the circle, we are learning intimacy, but what we're not learning is how to delicately escalate relationships in healthy ways. Mm -hmm. um, to go from social to personal, where it's not about shared activity, it's about the person you're doing whatever with. From personal to private, 
now you know some of my stuff. We're not just doing things together because it's you. And then from private to intimate and intimate, not just being about sex. Uh, I, I don't think we're, we've taught people how to escalate. I think in, uh, at least in Christian circles, we know we've taught people how to go from social to intimate um, and depending on how we use dating apps from public to intimate. Um, but we haven't taught people how to escalate effectively. It's becoming more common, but we don't have all the tools we need in our toolbox yet. You know what this makes me think of? Um, the end of the movie Step Brothers when they hug. Do you know what I'm talking about? And how awkward it's just like when when, when Will <laughs> and Adam Scott's characters hug, and it's like, <laughs> and they finally hug. Like that is where we're at right now. Like, <laughs> like, men are finally acknowledging that they want to feel loved and they want to open up and they want to be vulnerable but there's still a subsection being like if i do that the women will view me as less of a man and i'll never get into a relationship um but of course again the only people saying that are men and i i think andrew made a really good point uh what we would in the social sciences call an agentic friendship which is like a, a task-oriented friendship like those are still quite popular, but there are little rhetorical tricks that we can do to, to speed the process up. Like for example, when I visit my friends from New Jersey, I make sure I always tell them that I love them when I leave. Love you guys, right? And these are platonic heterosexual men who I'm friends with. And that little, that little motion helps, I think. <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> And they say it back. They, they 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 say it back. The first time my male friend told me he loved me was at his wedding, and I did. It meant a lot to me, and I was like, "That meant a lot to me." So I started saying it because it felt good to say it. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. The, the invitation of like um, what? It's not disclosure reciprocity, is it? It's like when we when we're willing to give us something of ourselves, and that that gives the invitation for someone to give the same back to us. Yeah, that would just be, yeah, disclosure reciprocity for sure. Yeah, so I, I love that. That makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we. I say I love you to my gay friend, my friends, but most of my male friends are gay. But there is, I will agree with you, Andrew, in terms, especially also in gay relationships, because we are men. That That is what we are in these relationships. There is that lack of that uh, gentle escalation of and especially today in current gay relationships where in Dayton um, sex does happen relatively early <laughs> within the courtship process and I'll admit it does happen very quickly but at least I'm very blunt about what I'm looking for in that moment Like, mm -hmm. however I think there is that that men go from especially in the gay community because we're still modeling certain things our own relationship practices off of heteronormative relationship practices in the fact that we do not have that gradual escalation in terms of courtship. In friendship, that kind of does exist, but it does tend typically happen very quickly because we do share a lot of information about each other, especially about our own sexual escapades, very quickly. And But they're very... I actually had, was dating someone recently where... We went from, I met him a couple times, couple dates. There was no sexual interaction because I was wanting to do things, try things differently than my previous courtships. Um, but there was that, the level of emotional 
oomph he was wanting from me in terms of was exceedingly high after only met him twice mm-hmm. if that makes any sense um for mm-hmm. me I was like this is a, I don't I do not know you this well for me to being given this type of emotional I guess not baggage per se but this type of emotional oomph so quickly but I've also gone through the last 2 years of exploring what it means to be alone and being mm-hmm. left the fuck alone in terms of rom- romance not in yeah. terms of sex but in terms of romance um and a lot of gay men don't necessarily do that escalation of okay we went from we went on a date we went here now we're here and now we're very intimate it goes from mm. 1a to point z exceedingly quickly mm. so i think that's something that a lot of us a lot of just across the board and do should actually learn from It, you know it's it's complicated i i think the way that i was taught dating growing up was that you camp out in the social space for a really really long time until you get to be in the intimate space mm-hmm. and I, i realize i'm using those terms very anecdotally like like where, where you camp out in a space where it doesn't actually have to do with the other person it's just the shared activities until it can finally be proven to be something real through some kind of intimacy mm-hmm. um or or something that might exist through like deep self-telling like 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 a giving of each other and i i i wish someone would have told young me that there was this whole world in between those of where someone can deeply mean something to you for who they are regardless of what the thing is without you knowing their deepest darkest secrets without you sharing of yours or without any like deep forms of sexual or intimate touch like, like there's a world now 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 go for the sexual touch i'm not criticizing that in the slightest no. um but but there, there's this whole world in there that's also there to be enjoyed that really was never emphasized mm-hmm. in when in the conversations about how i was taught to connect with someone Yeah, it's like a false binary that that mm. men are fed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I I agree as well. Uh let's see. What is the next question? I I kind of touched on this one earlier, but this is from Den- Denise P. I wonder how can we help young men realize that they aren't entitled to time or attention with anyone just because they think they want it? How can we help young men learn that? Uh I think practicing shit. What is that called? Rejection therapy. That is a new term that I learned the other day from my girlfriend of course, where you go somewhere with the intent of being told no. And this is just actually this is what I when I teach conflict and negotiation Mm-hmm. I I do a version of this uh for for their journal assignments. I had no idea that it was the same thing, but it's rejection therapy. It's the idea of of doing something knowing you're going to be told no and then becoming okay with being told no. I remember when I was in high school as a freshman in high school and I had a crush on this young lady who actually turned out is a lesbian. Um but that's neither <laughs> that's neither here nor there at the time. I had a crush on her and we were very good friends, very good friends and one day like a year down the road I got by the way 
if it's been a year, it's it's not happening. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're pining over somebody for a year, very low odds. But anyway, I, I expressed my feelings, and she very politely told me, "No, no, thank you." And obviously, you know, I didn't freak out or anything like that. But then fairly rapidly after that our friendship dissipated and i look back on it and wonder how much of that was my fault like it was it because i was simply no longer interested in her for romantic potential that that, that i left um and what i wish i had had was maybe like an older sister to sit me down and be like so you're just gonna stop being friends with her because she doesn't want to kiss you like what kind of person are you like that's what i needed to hear in that moment and I think like practicing rejection therapy allows you to have that conversation with yourself as long as you're being honest about, you know, what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Brief anecdote, that, that's so interesting. There's this, uh, there's this place in Kansas City that's like a sex temple. And one of the things that they do is before you enter into session, you have to set your boundaries and desires and then the person in charge asks you a question that you have to say no to you practice holding your boundary before mm. anything enters so like okay so no touching tonight okay i'm gonna ask you a question it's your job to tell me no let's see if you can do that in front of other people mm -hmm. um and, and they go can i touch your hair and it's your job to say no you can't touch my hair and they say why not you're you go I said you can't touch my hair and and before you enter into the space at all preparing to say no as well and and and, and that's i don't think we teach people how to practice their boundaries we, we're learning how to tell people to have them but i don't i don't think we give people <laughs> space uh or to or to articulate the things that we already have maybe that's better but mm. um that i think it's part of it um so i I'll, I'll answer this by saying two things the the first is i had a friend who he's probably still bad at dating at the time he was very bad at dating and um it's because he treated every woman he walked up to like she was supposed to be the person he spent the rest of his life with oh dating for marriage that kills me sorry to interrupt it just no it, it, it well because because like fucking pressure right because even yeah. if you're right Talk about exhausting from the get. <laughs> yeah, and and like, and what I taught him to say to to hear is when a woman says no, she's saying, "I've got great news. I'm not the person who's going to like you the way that she's going to. Mm. So why don't you understand that this is a great opportunity to go find someone who is going to want to spend time with you." And, and so like reframing rejection as opportunity, like because no's are great. No's tell you where not to go. That's mm. wonderful news. Um, the, the, like do not enter signs, save you a world of trouble. Just <laughs> don't enter, don't go that direction. So I, I think one of the things is that we, we teach men that they have to win yeah. so much. Mm -hmm. And so rejection isn't good news. We, and that makes it a battle between getting someone to give you what you want of them, them, which is an ugly mess. Um, another part of it is I, I don't think we've taught men 
that nobody owes them shit. I, I don't think we know that yet. I, I, I didn't know that. Like when Me I, neither. I, I, like, I, I didn't realize that I needed to be told that. Yeah. And, and I don't think if someone would have said that directly, it would have, it would have hit, but I, I genuinely saw the world as something I was supposed to navigate through and someone or something or a series of some things taught me I was to own and win and have um, instead of being community with. Mm. Uh, I, I think we need to reframe how we teach men to interact with other people in general before they can stop thinking that um, women don't owe them their time. I don't know. Whichever comes first. I mean, I, I, I fully agree with what both of you said. I mean, coming from Latin culture where it's very much, and I will admit there are moments where I have to catch myself because I was raised by my mom, my aunt, and my grandmother. A maternal, a matriarchy in a way. However, there are still moments where I have to acknowledge in myself that because I am my mother's guardian, I am my mother's power of attorney, medical power of attorney. And in teaching my mother boundaries, there are moments because she's 71 and I'm going to, I put up boundaries and things, but there are moments where that Latin male that I have learned from periphery tries to rear his head because my mom will try to break, like break those boundaries and it's not that she's being malicious though sometimes she's being a brat because she loves being that way um but there's that moment where i will snap i'm like ya te dije stop and it's that definitive stop there's mm -hmm. no arguing with the fact that i said stop and my mother will auto respond to that i'm like i'm sorry but can you please just i already asked you not to do this but there is that cultural where she auto, it's this weird thing of Latin culture. Mm. Um, and even though she's a very strong woman, that is something I have also had to unintentionally deconstruct, even though considering I am me, I'm a gay man raised by women and I've made my own uncles cry because they pissed me off, but I never, I don't defer authority just because they're like, it's an interesting thing I acknowledge to myself. I don't automatically respect men in terms of like authority. I mm. will automatically respect a woman. Like I've worked for a law firm where it was all women. Automatically. Yeah, she's my boss, period. Okay, whatever you want. But the last firms before and after her were owned by men. And my reaction is like, prove to me you're, you're worthy of my risk for me to respect you mm. and so it's one of those things that was interesting that i've seen that is very limited with myself though i've seen it in the latino machismo culture much heavier from afar i'm not necessarily fully part of it but it is something that i think is going to have to does have to change and it Bit by bit. I don't know where I was going with that, but I think my ADD took over. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think uh, so. So your upbringing taught you like what people deserve respect and what people don't. And, mm -hmm. and in a very clear way, because of the way your household operated. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think that 
one of the ways you know that we could teach young men is if they're if the household structure or, or the the uh, the people around them and and I want to be careful because what this could end up sounding like is if mothers just taught men right. right. And, <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm actively pointing that out to say that I'm not saying that. Um, if if the adults that are around these young men were very cognizant of how it is good to hear women say no to men and men immediately respect it. And it is also good to have people vocalize their boundaries and have them respected without people asking more. If we could mm -hmm. find a way to put that into our vernacular and make that clear, mm -hmm. uh, then I think that would help. Like, like I have, I have a young daughter and the way that we interact is not just whenever she says, no, I stop, but also me saying, no, 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 this is my body and I don't want to be touched right now. And getting, getting, giving her practice and hearing someone, even someone in authority say, actually, I don't want my body to be touched. Why are you touching my body right now? I would like to not be touched in this moment. Just to practice that, not in a way that, that takes away affection, because she's still a child, but in a way that says, you need to learn early sometimes people don't want their bodies to be touched and it's and it's, it's a big deal to do that so mm -hmm. I, I, I that vernacular in household structures and in the community they're uh, surrounding i think that would be a great way to to teach us how we respect people growing yeah. up and i think I also at a, a societal level if you could teach or encourage young men and boys to have idols and role models that are women and to idolize them for things that have nothing to do with their physical appearance. Like for example, we have countless men who are idolized for their athletic prowess. And at the same time, there are plenty of women deserving of that same sort of admiration. You know what I mean? People right. worship LeBron James, but we don't get that same sort of worship for Serena Williams, right? Yeah, right. So, uh, it, you know, if you can create role models for young boys who are women it kind of gets back to what nathan was saying about how like yeah you might automatically give respect to a powerful woman because that's just a normal thing to do whereas for many young men when it comes to respecting women it's an it's a task it's an effort you know what i mean it's, it's part of the unlearning process and so one of the ways in which we can help is to prevent that need for unlearning by kind of nipping it in the bud you just brought back such a big childhood memory for me that I didn't realize. <laughs> like, I had to be told by men to not like or respect effeminate things. Mm. I didn't have to be told to respect it. I think one of the things that we could do is have men kind of shut the fuck up if they're still toxic. Because <laughs> when I was a kid, if, if someone was strong, it didn't matter if they were a man or a woman. It's like, that person is strong, good. And it's like, you don't want to be like her, do you? Like, it it, it got mm. shut the fuck down. Like, like, like in, in little things like toys or colors, but also in people. I, I think, I think that's a way that it gets passed down too. It is like, mm. I, I, I think that a lot of us end up already kind of set up thinking people are great until society gets a hold of us. I mean, maybe I mean, that's I, me. I don't know. I idolized Hillary Clinton for the longest time. And like, but <laughs> not even, I don't even, not even 100% sure remember why. I just thought she looks strong. And mm. I was like nine and share. 
I tried being Cher for Halloween one year. My mom burnt the wig because she tried ironing it. So I had to be <laughs> I had to be Bill Clinton instead. <laughs> and well, let George, me ask you this: Have you have you ever seen Bill Clinton and Cher in the same room at the same time? <laughs> I can't say actually. I you haven't. I can't say mm. I have. I think there's. Uh, you know. Uh, I think you have something there. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Though I do recommend for a comedic thing about Hillary Clinton is read the book called The Residence, because it's a book from the perspective of the White House staff, like the housekeepers, valets, and all them, because oh, they yeah. never change. Right. So they know all the cheese men. And there's a special segment that it takes place during the Monica Lewinsky scandal that they shed light on like the humanity of Hillary because I think very few people actually humanize Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. but also just the oh okay um what do you do when the wife of the president beams him like what do you do <laughs> yeah fantastic book very the audiobook is beautiful um and so i think we have one more question it's from miranda major do you feel it is a mistake to encourage a mentally and physically whole healthy persona in a young man rather than the idea of masculinity. And I'm not 100% sure how that can be interpreted, but I'll leave, let, allow either one of you to interpret that question. Would you can please you, repeat it? Yeah, that was, yeah. Do you feel it is a mistake to encourage a mentally and physically whole healthy persona in a young man rather than an idea of masculinity? I think that the latter is much easier. And so I, I think that the way that I'm interpreting this question is obviously in a perfect world, we would be encouraging men to be like healthy and a whole persona. But in practice, it's so much easier to just plop a little boy down and be like, you will be strong and you will be fast and you will make decisions and you will be a leader. And then, you know, alternatively, the, 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 the counter with young girls. But I think that I think that that former, is, or rather the latter, pardon me, is, is a bit of a cop out. So I understand why it might not be perceived as a good idea to do that because you're taking all of this effort and like really trying to like force nuance into the mind of a young boy, and it can it can backfire, it can bounce right off. Ultimately. I think that the mistake is to put like the onus on the person raising the young boy when in reality there are systemic issues that need to be addressed. Like obviously you can do everything in your power to make sure that your young boy isn't a turd, but it, it, it really revolves around crafting infrastructure um, that prevents the the tate factor from occurring you know it, it it's and that's a long arduous process but I, I i do feel like if we hyper focus on like the okay well what can i do for the young man in my life we are going to miss the forest for the trees andrew so, i see your wheels turning <laughs> well it, it, the question was very familiar for me and I don't know this person meant it this way mm. 
but I'll, I'll tell you how people from circles I grew up in would have meant what she said. Um, to, to point to an individualism that involves your own identity instead of your role in society was usually suggested to be something sinful or something selfish or something that would lead to a overly independent lazy person uh he, here's here's how the rhetoric works um oh yeah you know you'll teach your kid to to be themselves and be whatever they want but but are you teaching them to be a man are you are you teaching them to be a man like a real man like that's how the rhetoric mm. works. i'm not saying this person meant that and i don't know how to answer the question assuming they didn't mean that so i'll speak to whoever thinks that way then beautiful um we've been duped into thinking that there's this one way of being a man and it only works if it is gruff and brusque and with a certain income and a certain work ethic and a certain amount of hours outside of the house and a certain essentialism to, to, to his like masculine self that doesn't make him anything like his partner who is obviously of course a woman in this case because this does this breaks down as soon as you throw gay people into the equation or any no, weirdness at all <laughs> and uh but we we've been duped uh the the it, it does not develop a healthy person just because it fits a societal role because the societal role is not for that person's health it's for the it's for the health of people that will never know this young man's name mm -hmm. or care about him um who need him to be a good factory worker or a good um a, a good imperialist device or you know uh, someone who makes perhaps uh, makes minimum wage and makes more babies and those babies end up uh, fitting into these perfect societal roles uh, so that's a very very few amount of people get very very rich um, we got tricked hard and so if we pretend that the way that we raise people is making sure they fit their role their role is never going to be for them and it's never mm -hmm. going to be for their health because the people that design their role don't give a damn about your babies the, the, these young men can't be whole men if they aren't taught to be healthy people outside of whatever you would assign the things they enjoy as masculine or feminine or whatever else. Mm. Um, so, so it is not a bad idea to teach them to be whole healthy people. I would argue you can't teach them to be men if you don't start by teaching them to be whole persons. And then if they realize that they're a man along the way, they're going to be the healthiest man you've ever seen. If you let them be healthy people first, regardless of what you're assigning to them. And a good society is made by healthy people for the most part. <laughs> it's trying to get a healthier society or does an unhealthy society breed unhealthy people? <sighs> America's mm. great, isn't it? <laughs> the best now now everything that you said about societal problems is absolutely right i'm i didn't mean oh to, no i fully like, agree individualistic like but 
I hope y'all see what I'm saying. There's like this like gender essentialism that that we throw up there for societal roles still sits there as like almost like an anti-socialist thing within certain conservative groups. You oh know? yeah, it's like, oh yeah. Uh, maybe almost was was too weak. It, it is that, isn't it? Like that's the rhetoric that gets used. Yes, but okay. And this is the big question. And I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna. <clears throat> But if what about the men who are bricklayers? Because if 99% of men are bricklayers, then what are we supposed to do? Make it completely equal? I don't know. That's that's me fading out of my Jordan Peterson impression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I definitely echo everything that Andrew was saying there. It, 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 if you can, if you, I feel like what this really comes down to is if you have to ask that question of but are you a man but is he a man but are you raising a man like maybe you're the one who doesn't know what a man looks like because you're fucking looking at one buddy you know yeah. what i mean like when it's it's like when like uh the, the folks i know who are uh, uh much more misogynistic love to like say things about me painting my nails and like i it's just ribbing but at the same time it's like you really think you really think that that makes me less of a man? And like, it's tempting to like get into like the, like the old misogynistic tropes of like, okay, well, well, why don't we compare our rap sheets and see who's been with more people? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to do that because that's childish, but mm -hmm. I sure do think it loud. And I feel like that's part of the unlearning process <laughs> that, that I still need to, that I still need to get through. Well, it, 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 ain't that a trip though? Like, even when trying to forge a new path, when the very masculinity we're trying to redefine gets questioned, the only tools we have to fight back, because of the ones that have been given to us yeah. for so long, are the toxic ones. It's just like, mm -hmm. they're still right there, the utility belt. It's like, well, let me pull out body me, counts on this. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a mess. Uh, it's a mess. But, but I, I think conversations like this make it easier because we're we're sitting here being able to say we enjoy things. I maybe and I honestly think that's a, that's a big piece of it. Like the amount of men that I don't hear talk about enjoying fucking like just anything. Anything, at all. anything. Yeah. They all seem so sad. Like, exactly. I I think a lot of things could change rather quickly if there's a way that we could make part of men gathering, just talking about the things they're enjoying and it can't be anything that you feel like you've won or conquered. What do you yeah. enjoy? Like, mm. I think that would, that would, that would be so nice. I love that idea. I had some very nice puppy cuddles prior to this chat that I enjoyed very much. Oh, <laughs> and you of course have the cutest puppy. I saw, I saw him. <laughs> Where's my child? She wants she want cuddles in about another few minutes. I already know because mm -hmm. I can hear her doing the thing. <laughs> I, uh, I finished a garden bed today. That I'm glad nice. about. A race nice. Bed. I I'm gonna be planting some vegetables and I'm very excited. Oh, any specific vegetables? Uh, probably. So in this particular bed, I think it's going to be a number of like nightshades. You know, like eggplant, peppers and uh tomatoes i think i'm gonna be doing that 
So I wish I could have a garden, but I, I'm learning that my green thumb may have been fading over the years because I, I, there are certain plants that I have inside this house that are like, and I love them. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna, you're just gonna look like I'm Morticia Adams, and this makes the whole aesthetic much better. So <laughs> the only thing that's really surviving are the ivies, and of course, they're the things that are surviving. So right, yeah, they're just gonna grow forever. Yeah, I'm not even worried about them. I f I'll forget to water them for like a, a good chunk of time because I don't look up because one is up on the ceiling. And I'm like, oh, that's right. You exist. Oh, that's right. <laughs> when you're 5'4", you don't need to look up often. Like, I mean, you that's do incredible. and don't. <laughs> oh All of that's just unused space to me. So, so, so are you truly 5'4"? I am truly 5'4". We are a small people. That is fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. I agree. Every flat is a first-class flat, um, and it comes in handy for several other things. And several, and plus, my center of gravity is, gravity is significantly lower, so I can lift heavier than somebody else who's taller. Mm. And that technically, I will live longer if, if it comes to heart issues, because your heart doesn't really grow in size, depending upon how tall you are. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, you are seven and a half inches shorter than me. How tall are you? I'm just under six foot. I forget we make humans that tall. I met somebody who was <laughs> six nine. That's that's more people than I thought you would say. That, that, that's I, that's that, that's that's more people than I thought we could create. <laughs> I, I didn't. I did not know we came in. I mean, because I've met like people like Peter Mayhew. I've met him, and he, of course, had the the genetic disorder of what he was like over seven feet. But I didn't know people just got that tall. Six nine, you'd have to go up on him. Well, I, <laughs> thankfully I did not, because that was not the interaction I met him for. Um, but I have. So just to talk, uh, we're going to talk about that. I did enjoy a man's company years ago. Who was about that about that tall? And if you've ever seen like a Great Dane trying to mount a Chihuahua, it was kind of the same <laughs> thing. Because there's only one. I know TMI, but there's only really one position you can do. I'm just picturing you in one of your long, bigger, <laughs> and that was just. Oh. I, I, and the problem is, is, I don't look when I'm going on dating sites. I don't care about their height. I, I it's not. It's the least deciding factor for me so it's, i really look at their height and i've and then this was back years i was probably like 25 26 and he walks up and i was like you don't even fit through the door um <laughs> and my first thing is logistics um logistics. well i mean he didn't fit through the door so he's not gonna fit through the door i mean he 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 fit through the door um oh <laughs> doors um <laughs> but anyway we have gotten off track love is an open door i mean it, it is <laughs> and if you say such pretty things it can be a very easily open door but <laughs> say it you want to say it james I, I do, I, I'm doing the I'm doing the hetero white guy thing where I shrink to the size of a penny. <laughs> uh, Andrew, stop swooning! I can see your eyes from here. Uh, <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm loving. I'm just loving this. This, this is fun and and at no one else, no one's expense. And I, I think if more men did this, 
then it would be I, I agree. I actually had, I've only had a few of the sexual conversations regarding gay sex with the, only a handful of the straight men that I know. Um, one was a friend from college. I am the godfather to his firstborn. Um, which I'm like, you better live a long time because I don't even know if I have the funds to take do the thing. Um, <laughs> but um, but we would have these open, candid discussions because he had met me. He at the time I was only about eight, not even eight. I was 18. I met him. He was 22. He was older for college, and we met in a communications class. And then one day I was much heavier, and I had a. This time I dressed. For that time period and how I how I dressed, I had a big old shawl, a hand fan, and I was significantly heavier. And I just looked out in the crowd, into the room, and I was like, okay, so I want to be able to drink this weekend. Who can buy me vodka? And he was like, well, I'm of age. And I was like, okay, well, I'll give you the cash. And everybody just looked at me. I was like, you're not going to get anything if you don't ask. <laughs> and we wound up drinking together getting drunk and playing halo and then that kind of stirred this friendship of us talking about what was me as a gay man what was that what did that mean and because he acknowledged he admitted as like i've been mostly homophobic my entire life and i've eased up on it as i've gotten older and it's kind of moved out of this small white town i grew up in but being able to relate with you and understand and we would have full conversations about the nitty-gritty of both sides of what we what we do in the bedroom because i i have i have never been with a woman i've never even been through a vaginal canal um i was removed like a tumor because i was trying to kill my mother and that honestly was on brand that is on brand uh, <laughs> that's a step above gold star game. <laughs> <laughs> like i put my i was evidently game. putting my foot up against that cervix like you find another way or neither one of us are getting out of here alive. like <laughs> and so anyway but so we had these full conversations because i texas health classes are really a joke but um in terms of sexual health mm. but having this discussion of like well what is what happens when two men have sex i'm like well there's really there's quite a lot you can do but no we had these full discussions kind of like uh, two straight men would have with each other about what they've done mm. um but we he, i was a gay man he was a straight man we would talk about it and just kind of like how'd that day go this happened okay How'd that date go? He's like, I don't think she was into me. And I was like, okay. And he was like, eh, it's cool. I mean, that's fine. But he was, I acknowledge now as we've gotten older, he was much more emotionally mature than he gave himself credit for, even then. Because he was like, I'm just this kind of whatever. Like, But you, looking back now, to me then, it was like, oh, wow. Okay, he was one of my closest friends is this straight man. And we have these discussions. Um, and it's only been a handful of times I've had that where we can just be like, okay, this is what I've, this is what it do. <laughs> and it's not necessarily that different from what it y'all do. It's just, there's different, um, there's different parts involved. So, well, you know, yeah. No, mm. You touched on something that was really fascinating for uh, like, Looking back, I can see now why it wasn't fascinating for me, and it just felt normal. That makes sense. But uh, how many men, how many straight men that I got to know in college 
that could, couldn't understand gay men at all because of how much their life, everything about their life revolved around getting with a woman. Like, mm. oh yeah, it's like their identity. Thing. Yeah. The whole yeah. thing. It's the whole thing. It's just like, so like I could see someone walking up to you. It's like, so I hear you have no interest in women. How are you here? How, like, what do you, what do you think about <laughs> the rest of the time? Like, and, and it's, it's just this fascinating thing. Like, like there, there's this whole other part of life. Oh yeah. Like, and even just, then there's the whole other part of like, not just masculinity, but trying to break down all thatness within gay culture. Cause like, I've never, I've never looked at women sexually, period. Like there was, there was never that like, well, let me try. Cause I've had friends who have tried. And for me, I was just like, no. Um, but I kind of went from, I knew what I wanted and I got what I wanted in my early teens. But then as far as like, I need to hide this, I basically became what other people would perceive as asexual at that time. Mm. What they perceived, what I was actually doing was gay, but because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't dating women, I wasn't really flirting with women. Um, I went to prom with female friends, and yeah, and so, but there was no sexual acts with women because it was never something that interests me. However, were there sexual acts with men? Absolutely. Well, yeah. Um, during those formative years of as I was developing. But for me, I was like, I've never even explored what that means. I, I The only reason I know what, it, what it's supposed to look like is because, of course, I have watched documentaries and people and all the modern uh, all the modern media that does talk about it. But other than that, I'm like, I didn't even go through it. So, <laughs> and so I think we... I think we are at a fantastic stopping point for y'all. For y'all, I know it's late for you in the future, and I'm sure you have things in the past that you want to do. And here I am stuck in the 1940s um, <laughs> <laughs> here in Texas. But I do want to thank both of you for joining me today. This has been a fantastic talk. And before we go, is there any? Uh, quick little statement you'd want to say to anybody out there or any organizations you want people to support in this time. Mm. Andrew, you're welcome to go first. Okay. Um, <laughs> I would say um, if there is a local mutual aid or direct action group in your community, they are most likely fighting for making change on your city level or county level the stuff that we you don't really hear talked about much on the news where you are pay attention to them they're doing good work they need your support they won't be hard to find um if you want access to other organizations i can tell you about them but look for a local mutual aid or direct action group in your community they need your support fantastic um, i'll say if you're within a couple of driving hours of southern utah there is an uproar of uh, uh, drag performances that are happening in my neck of the woods. They're being met with substantial resistance and bodies are always welcome. There are cafes and libraries and uh, other establishments that are hosting um, mostly beginner drag shows. Um, mm. There are a couple of, we'll call them unintentional death falls and that's perfectly okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it is about community and it is about 
giving these folks a reason to stay in in and 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 you know a place like southern utah is a place that is in desperate need of culture of mm -hmm. any kind so if if you're looking to take a road trip uh or just help that community i mean you can obviously you can donate to like southern utah pride that's great um uh but physical presence is what they want mm -hmm. so would, that would be my call Thank you so much, James. And that's been so true. We had a, I think it was, I forget which thing. I think it was a drag story out where those boys try to protest. And San Antonio is not a city you play with. You don't. Mm -hmm. It's a massive blue city. All the major cities, for the exception of two, are very blue with intentions. So the, any of those proud boys try to do anything, it's not, it, it, no. <laughs> it, we're still Texans. Um. Yeah, we don't we don't have that here. We don't. Uh, I mean, you, you're not going to see Proud Boys uh, because this, the special kind of hate that Utahns have is a very quiet type of hate uh, and a very judgmental type of hate. It's not a violent hate, which is good in many ways, but yeah. it also means that it, the community is exposed and vulnerable in a way that San Antonio simply isn't because of the infrastructure of radical queerness that simply just isn't in Southern Utah. We're a, a few decades behind in that regard. Fully understood. And so, yeah, if you are in driving distance of Southern Utah, please make a road trip. I'm sure there's fantastic shows and a good drag show or story time is always a fun time. Mm-hmm. As somebody who was a former queen, they're always a fun time. What was your Not drag name? Ursula Velour. <laughs> oh, I love that. But it's been probably about eight years since I performed. And I do I walk in heels still? Yes. Can I dance in them still? My knees would side-eye me if I tried. I could do it. Once. Once. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds to me like you need to come to Southern Utah and show these queens how it's done. I mean, that's, probably. That's I, 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 lo I love a good road trip, and I passed through. I've been to Northern Utah when I used to do celebrity hospitality mm -hmm. um, in Salt Lake City. I think that's Northern Utah, right? Mm -hmm. And then I passed through there a couple months back to get to California. So I've never actually been to Southern Utah. So it's beautiful. Oh, I've heard it's nothing beautiful. but good things about it. That's geography. Yeah, if you've ever watched uh, We're Here, it's the, it's Bob the Drag Queen show. They came yeah. to my town. Yeah, they were in my oh, town. Wow. Yeah, I was at oh, the performance. One... It was it was lovely. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, I think I need to plan a tr road trip to Southern Utah. I have Not a guest room. I... With... With James. <laughs> 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 On that, my loves, thank you both for being here. And thank you, everybody, for watching. And y'all have a good night. Bye. Take care. Have a good one. <laughs> See you, everyone. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of Talking Tea with Auntie. Being a man and breaking down toxic masculinity. As always, I'm so grateful you're here. And if you enjoyed this content, feel free to subscribe, turn on that notification bell, whatever you got to, and whatever app you're watching or listening to this on. As always, I gotta give a big thank you to all my patrons on Patreon that make my content possible. Without them, I couldn't create this content or pay my bills. So I'm very grateful for y'all. An exceedingly special thank you to those patrons who ask questions of our guests. Heather, Denise P., and Miranda Major. If you would like to ask questions of our next guests, feel free to become a patron on my Patreon for as low as $3 a month. 
patreon.com forward slash shining nathan i'd be very grateful if you considered because well patreon's my primary form of income <laughs> i must thank our two fantastic guests andrew and dr james stein for agreeing to be on this show it is really wonderful to have guests that are willing to speak with me and interview about their daily lives and special topics now be sure to be on the lookout for our next episode which will be coming up within a week in honor of black history month and we will be talking about being a black woman in america i'm sure it's going to be very informational educational and eye-opening so i'm very excited to interview these two beautiful women in the next upcoming episode so be on the lookout and Go to my Insta. You'll get all notifications there in my story when they come out. As always, I love every single one of you. I'm grateful every single one of you is here. Remember, take care of yourself. Drink some water. And I love you, honey. Bye.